When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, cold and bad Christmases. So we're very good at, at, at dealing with this. In terms of cold, we're awful. We're probably some of the worst mammals because the risks of going beyond two minutes are not worth it. And the damage that you're going to do to your tissues are, are not worth it. But there's that concept that you're never dead until you're warm and dead. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for all of your support. So our first guest studies the cold, specifically why cold affects us, what we can do about it, and if cold therapy really works. This is cold researcher, Dr. Francois Amant. What is it about cold in our body? Like, why does cold have an effect on us? Well, that's an amazing question, because when you when you look back at where we actually evolved and where we come from, you realize that humans actually evolved in the African savanna. So we spend most of our evolutionary time building these adaptations for heat, for humidity, for dealing with high temperatures. So we're not really good in the cold. We're very good in tropical conditions. We're very good at dealing with heat, especially if we're in the shade. But as soon as we get into the cold, our vulnerability is tremendous. We have very little defenses, physiological defenses, or even biological defenses to be able to survive. And we have to rely on our minds and we got to rely on our capacity to build shelters, to build, to make clothing, to work together to get our basic needs. What is it about the cold that does it to us, though? It's like, what is happening kind of inside of our body that doesn't agree with the cold? So as soon as we get in the cold, we start losing heat very quickly to the environment. And our body's going to say, we need to shut this down. Because if we keep losing heat to the environment at that rate, our body temperature will start dropping. Uh, humans are endotherms. So basically, we're made to survive at a specific body temperature. And it has to be constant. So 98 uh, Fahrenheit or 37 degrees Celsius, we're trying to maintain our body temperature at that temperature. In the cold, we lose a lot of heat. So we need to produce a lot of heat to compensate, to avoid having our body temperature drop. So 
the first thing our body's going to do is as soon as you get into cold conditions, it's going to shut off anything going to the periphery. So to your hands and feet. And as you all know, when you work in cold places, your hands and feet become very cold and way before the rest of your body becomes cold. So this is very typical of the human response. And it just brings all the warm blood towards the, the core of the body and tries to keep the core at a constant temperature. But for humans, it takes a lot of energy to be able to do this. And we're burning a lot of energy to be able to maintain that body temperature. When would you say that our body starts doing that? Is there a temperature where our body says, oh, it's cold now? Any temperature below 33 is the beginning of cold exposure. I just looked it up. 33 degrees Celsius is 90 degrees Fahrenheit. And I would consider 90 degrees Fahrenheit to be pretty hot. So we're essentially getting cold even in the middle of summer yes are we better than other animals at adapting and dealing with the cold or are we kind of know we're kind of one of the worst definitely we're very good at dealing with the heat we got eccrine glands we're able to sweat a lot from all over our body which is a lot about a lot of animals are not able to do this so we're very good at, at, at dealing with this in terms of cold we're awful we're probably some of the worst mammals out there because our, our bodies are furless. And so that's a, that's a big disadvantage. The other disadvantage is a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on fat as being an insulator for cold. In our case, we're not like marine mammals. Marine mammals can actually isolate their, their blubber or their fat from the environment. So having barely any blood flow going to the, uh, to the outside, to the periphery, which means that they can regulate their temperature much better in the cold than we can. For us, our skin is a radiator, no matter what. And we're always losing heat to the environment. We can have fat. The fat's going to modify your body shape and your body morphology. So the physics will be modified in the way you're losing heat to the environment. But we're, we're still going to keep losing heat to the environment. So it doesn't provide that much of an advantage. So to put it on a scale, in mammals, we're pretty awful. You know, we start to get cold and i would use the words technically right because it's at 90 degrees when at what temperatures will we kind of be like okay now you're really in trouble like you're not just uncomfortable now you're in trouble it's not a difficult question to answer but it's a very interesting question because there's two ways of looking at it i can tell you when you're troubled biologically but there's also when you think that you're in trouble and there's a bit of a distinction there. So I'll, I'll tell you biologically. Biologically, you're in trouble if you keep losing heat and you're not able to rewarm yourself. So there's two types of cold exposure. There's one type which is compensable, which I could be shivering like crazy and producing a lot of heat enough that my body temperature doesn't drop. So we call this compensable. It means that I'm losing heat to the environment, but I'm producing so much heat that my core temperature doesn't change compensable cold exposure. There's another type of cold exposure that often happens in cold water, which is uncompensable. And as soon as you get into cold water, you're losing heat so fast that you're not able, you're not able to produce heat fast enough to compensate, which means that my body temperature just keeps dropping. So in cold water, you're always in trouble. Cold water meaning below 18 degrees Celsius. Again, this is something we can probably look up in terms of Fahrenheit, but 18 degrees Celsius and below, you start losing heat very quickly to the water. And if you don't get out within an hour, an hour and a half, you're going to become hypothermic. In cold air, you could always compensate. So there's always ways of compensating. But if ambient temperature becomes below freezing, 
then there's all kinds of risks that are added up. Some of these risks were going to be related to frostbite. Your hand blood flow is going to drop, your feet blood flow is going to drop, and then your extremities become very at risk of any type of injury. Any temperatures in between is also how you feel in that temperature. Some people go into cold and they panic. And they're actually very scared of cold. And I, I've seen even in the lab, I've, I've seen some people being terrified of being in, in cold temperatures and thinking it was burning them and they weren't feeling good. And that's all mindset. And the more you expose yourself to these cold temperatures, the more your mind becomes used to it and you become more linked to the biology and link, less linked to the psychology of dealing with cold. The reason why humans are like this, that they're fearful of cold, is cold is a dangerous stimuli. And if you don't deal with cold and you don't make decisions, you could ultimately die or not be able to, to sustain your capacity to function and thrive, even feed yourself. So this is something where evolution made it in a way that we, we tend to be very concerned about cold. But you can also detrain this where you can actually learn not to be. And that's what we do with the military. We actually train them to be able to face cold efficiently, to be able to operate in cold temperatures. 18 degrees Celsius is 65 degrees Fahrenheit, yeah. just for a quick kind of refresher to the audience. That seems like, man. So, okay, this is a complete aside, but I have always wondered this. Whenever you get in cold water, like, why do we take that, like, <gasps> like you start breathing like that? Why is that? There's a, uh, a, um, a program in the, in the UK, it's called, uh, that they've been trying to, an intervention that they're trying to get everybody to understand is if you fall in cold water, you need to float first, extremely important. The reason if you don't float first, as soon as you hit that water, you will take a deep breath. And that's called cold shock. It's a cold shock response, it's a reflex. And if your head is underwater, you will drown. So the first thing, more people have died of drowning in cold water because of cold shock than they've actually died of hypothermia. So you need to float first. So essentially there's there are receptors right below the skin and as soon as you hit that, that cold water, it will induce that, that deep breath. And what, again, you're gonna just take a full inhalation, it's about one liter of air coming in. Again, you get one liter of water in your lungs, you're done. So this is something, it's just a reflex. And this is what, again, we train, again, coming back to the military, this is something we train because they do train to go into cold water and we train to actually not take that deep inhalation and actually to learn to exhale as soon as you hit the cold water because it's a way of regaining control. I don't know if I'm going to be really be able to like kind of quantify this question very well, but I think it will make sense in the sense that like, okay, if we do this kind of training, you mentioned you work with the military. If we do this kind of training to prepare ourselves for cold, like how much better can we get at handling it? Would you say we get like you get a little bit better or like, Oh no, you can really, you can really change. Yeah. You can really change. So you can get even within one day, get amazingly better if you learn how to do it. And what we do is we actually trained uh, the soldiers to use breath work to regain control by understanding what's going on physiologically, understanding that reaction is normal and knowing what to do with it. What you can learn then is how to almost embrace being in that cold, that cold water or that cold, the, the, this cold temperatures. And when you hit that cold water, you barely get any reaction because you regain control immediately. So this is very quick to train. And this training for cold shot can actually last, even if you stop doing it, can last for over a year. 
what when you when you talk about kind of training like can you talk about the what kind of techniques things that that people can do so none of this is novel it's been used for for thousands of years in many cultures and people have used cold water or any type of very intense stressor to be able to learn to to even meditate and be able to become in a zone that you you keep control and this is done mainly through breath work it's done through even being self-aware of the dangers that you're facing and knowing that you can keep control even in these very harsh conditions. And uh, so this is something where there could be many benefits in pushing your body outside of these limits and showing that your body is able to respond in a very positive way. Is this in any way kind of like the old adage about exercise, right? Like my body starts telling me that I'm tired long before I'm actually really tired. Yes, it's exactly the same thing. When you look at the kind of training, is there any physiological changes that take place within people because of the training? Or is it really just like you just get used to it? Like it's just a mental thing. So muscles do change. When you expose muscle to cold, you're going to be shivering. And that shivering is kind of low-grade exercise. And you will get some of the changes with cold exposure that you would get with low-intensity exercise. And actually, some of the because cold is such a potent stimulator, a lot of these changes actually occur much faster than what you could get during exercise and at much lower intensities. So cold has been known to actually improve even aerobic capacity and, and improve your, your, your muscles' capacity to even deal with, with sugars, with glucose. So these are some of the changes that, that occur. Another change that can occur, and again, this is something brand new, basically. When I say brand new, I mean 2009, which might not be brand new for everyone, but for me, it's kind of brand new. Uh, before 2009, we never talked about brown fat. And brown fat in adult humans was not even a conversation. Uh, so we said that anytime somebody would get into the cold, all the heat being produced was basically from shivering, from the muscles being activated and shivering. So shivering is kind of very... It's not a synchronized movement of the muscles. It's just their muscles trying to produce heat. And that's the best way for humans to produce heat. But in 2009, there were three nominal papers that came out in New England Journal of Medicine that showed that adult humans have brown fat. So we knew that babies had brown fat, but we didn't know that adults actually retained that brown fat. Uh, so they found uh, that brown adipose tissue in, in adult humans. And what we saw is when you cold acclimatize, some people increase their brown fat. So there's actually more, and the brown fat's role is just a furnace. All it does in the animal world is to produce heat. So it's not made to produce energy. It is, it's made just to produce heat, to keep your bodies warm. So this is something that endotherms have. So these are tissues that do change in the cold. There could also be effects on the immune system and effects on inflammation, but this is not as clear as people seem to make it. So you look in the mainstream social media and people will say, get into the cold, it's going to improve your, your inflammation status, it's going to improve your immune system. This is actually not proven at all. That's what I was going to ask you, right? It's about like kind of cold therapy seems to be all the rage. Is there any science behind that? Or is it like this thing is just taking on a life of its own and Extremely important question because people seem to say that there's science behind it and they kind of try to say, okay, this is what you do and it improves all these parameters. Right now, there's very little backing up any of that, these statements. Um, 
So there's, there is some research kind of showing that cold could have multiple benefits. And one of these benefits that is clear is cold is a stimulant. So as soon as I even taking a cold shower and cold bath will actually increase not only your dopamine, but actually increase stress hormones. And it gives you a bit of a rush. And this rush actually makes you feel good. And the dopamine makes you feel good. But the, the rush also coming from just doing that cold exposure, a cold shower would, would do it too. And of course, if the, the person feels better, that's a very important result, right? So the person's feeling better. So for me, if you think about therapy, cold does, does help. But now it's funny because especially in North America, it was funny being in Finland because the Finns tend to not go to these extremes. In North America, what we love to do is as soon as we find something, we make it into the biggest thing on earth and it's the magic bullet for everything and it's going to fix everything. So, and the issue that happened is people now started pushing the envelope. So they're using some of that cold and making some statements about the effects on the immune system and inflammation, but cold is not even standardized in the way people use it. So just like if I would say exercise is good for you, well, you're going to ask me what type of exercise, how intense should I do it? How long should I do it? How frequently should I do it? Well, we don't know for cold. And some people, if you say two minutes in ice water is good, they're going to think that 20 minutes is 10 times better because the risks of going beyond two minutes are not worth it. And the damage that you're going to do to your tissues are, are not worth it. We still need to consider some of the risks. You can't just keep doing the, these cold water dips thinking that I'm not damaging tissues. And again, there's two types of injuries you can have. It's like frostbite, depending on what temperature that you're doing these ice dips at. There's also a risk of non-freezing cold injury. And the non-freezing cold injury was actually first documented in the First World War, and they were called trench foot. So trench foot is actually neuro neurological damage. And if you repeatedly expose yourself to cold temperatures, you will damage your nerves in your hands and in your feet. And this can actually be permanent. And this is well documented in soldiers, by the way, uh, in the UK and Canada, uh, and even in the US, extremely well documented that non-freezing cold injuries from repeated exposure to cold can actually be permanent damage to tissues. I don't want to kind of put words in your mouth necessarily, but kind of sum it up for my understanding. It kind of seems like when we're talking about cold therapy that we know that we feel differently, right? We know that people kind of feel energized or feel whatever, but it doesn't seem like there's any actual proof that from a biological perspective that anything is happening. No, there's actually a paper that just came out in 2023. Uh, 2023. I just looked at it. I, I found it yesterday. And uh, it's from University of Bern in Switzerland. And they showed that actually the Wim Hof method over 15 days had no cardio, cardiovascular advantages. And this showed actually very few benefits, even with the breath work and everything that was going on. Again, I'm, this is biologically, right? Does it mean that people are feeling better? I'm not, I'm not discounting. And anecdotal evidence is still very good evidence. If people are feeling better, I mean, this is good. If they're not getting injured doing it, this is good. Biologically, a lot of these methods cannot be backed up right now. And this is part of the work that I'm doing in my lab at the University of Ottawa. We're looking at dosing cold in a way that's going to be beneficial without going to the risks. And this is something that I want to bring to the military so we can actually make it into real training program with cold and not be doing it the way it's being done right now, which is tremendously dangerous. And one thing that I want to, I want to mention is cold, especially ice water, would be like being struck by lightning. This is how dangerous it is to your body. 
and you get a vagal response. Your vagal nerve is going to respond to this and you can actually end up in cardiac arrest. The only thing, the other thing that can happen is also your blood flows being all diverted to, to, to the core and your blood pressure just flies up. Again, large risk for cardiovascular issues. So it's not a safe practice. It's a practice that is actually tremendously dangerous, if not well done. And people that stay longer than two minutes are putting themselves at risk big time. Now, is that two minutes a day or to like two minutes for what kind of time period are we looking at? Because you know somebody's going to be like... So I do cold dipping maybe once every two weeks. Some people do it every single day. The risks of doing it every single day are tremendous. There are risks. And the risk is to damage your, your hands and feet. So I always tell people, you need to protect hands and feet. You need to put gloves on, which is neoprene gloves. I use five millimeter gloves. I use five millimeter boots when I go into ice water. But again, what would be the benefits of doing this every single day? And none of this has been well documented. And I would say that the risks right now would be more of a concern to me than some of the metabolic benefits that I know of. And I've been studying cold for the last 23 years. So I, I, I know about cold exposure. And I don't see the real benefits right now of doing this. And the only thing I see is a lot of risks of how people are actually doing it. So looking at it, like, why did we become obsessed with it then, right? Like, if it doesn't seem to really do much for us and can be dangerous, why do you think we came, became obsessed with it? And everybody's got ice baths and cold therapy and nitrates, whatever, and all that stuff. That's a very good question. And when I started doing my PhD in uh, 2000, I never thought cold was going to become what it is now. And uh, it's amazing where it went. And we barely talked about it, but we barely talked about it. In 2009, when brown fat was found in adult humans, everybody went ballistic. And the amount of papers that were published from 2009 and on about brown fat is humongous. Uh, people are just pumping out these papers saying that brown fat was the savior for anything related to obesity, diabetes, uh, was going to be the tissue that was going to solve any problems in the world. And of course, it didn't become that way. And it's a bit of a trend that happened. When you take something that might be good, this is very typical in, in mankind or humankind. I don't know why we do this, but we take something that might be good at a very low dose and we always make it to an extreme. We always need to push it as far as we can and say, okay, now we got to do even longer, better, stronger. It's always kind of pushing the envelope, right? You know, you do a marathon, you do a triathlon, now you got to do the ultra triathlon. And it's always, a cold became a little bit of this. And I think this is where we need balance. And I'll just give you an example. In the, in the Ottawa region, there's a, there's a few groups that do ice uh, water bathing. And I was I went to, to to meet one of these groups and some of the people there were so so focused on staying in the water as long as they could. And for me, again, coming in as a cold researcher, I'm looking at them going, okay, this is interesting that people would even want to do this to that extreme. And I looked at their hands and feet and they weren't protecting them and the damage was tremendous and I could see it. And I said, how are your hands? And you could see that even... You know, they had no circulation in the, in the hands and the feet were really damaged. And But it was such a focus for them that this is the solution. This is what I need to do. Anything done biologically in excess, at some point will start hurting you. And I think cold is the same thing. So there's no risk, by the way, of cold air 
unless it's below freezing where you could get frostbite and with cold air, if you're well protected, you can go into the cold as much as you want. Uh, cold showers is not a big deal either because you're not exposing yourself to the, the heat loss ranges that you would find in ice water. Ice water is dangerous. This kind of leads us into some of our listener-submitted questions. So are you ready for some uh, harder-slash-listener-submitted questions? Shoot away. Let's start with kind of, I guess, the, the easier ones on that scale, right? Like, So what is frostbite, essentially? Like, What's happening when somebody gets frostbite? Kind of simple in a way. Uh, like if you put meat in the freezer, you will get ice crystals being created in that meat. Well, if you put that even in living tissues, you can actually have ice crystals that are going to be forming within your cells. And the problem is with a living cell is going to rupture everything. So all the, the cell organelles, everything, the membranes will all be destroyed. So you basically end up with cell death. So a frostbite is different levels, depending on how deep it goes. So you can get a frost nip, which is just going to be kind of whiteness on your finger, or you, know, you can be on your nose. It's generally the periphery where there's less blood flow, your ears very typical. That's why with friends, when you go into the very cold temperatures, always look at the person. And if you see anything related to frostbite, you need to protect yourself. So the first level is it would be a frost nip. You're just going to see a bit of uh, white uh, occurring. There's second level, uh, there's third and fourth level, which are much, much deeper type of damage. And But it's the same thing. It's just cell death from the ice crystal being formed, but in deeper in the skin. So we have the epiderm on the surface and we have the derm right below it. And basically you start damaging the derm. And as soon as you start damaging the derm, you get, again, a lot of cell death occurring everywhere above. So, and some of that cell death is basically the tissue's gone, right? So amputations might occur and you're gonna get, you know, dark skin. So the skin's gonna, everything would be falling off. So you need to basically cut it off. So it's just ice crystals forming in tissues. Are there certain populations of people that seem to handle cold better than others so this is a question that everybody seems to be very interested about and i would say that physics dictates your risk for cold so the way you exchange with the environment is going to be linked to your body shape and your body mass humans are generally not well adapted at all to cold there's some populations though that would have morphological differences that would help them lose heat not as fast are they going to be less vulnerable to frostbite? No. Typically, uh, what uh, the Eskimos are in with, like we call them in, in Canada, the Sami um, in, the, in uh, Finland and Scandinavia, uh, would tend to would tend to be better adapted to cold temperatures. But a lot of what they do is behaviorally. So they're going to modify their behavior to be able to make sure that they don't get any type of injuries. So when I've worked with First Nations for many years in Northern Canada, and the decisions they make are always about protection. They will not expose themselves and risk any type of injury. So it's very hard to separate what is biological and what is linked to the behavior. Most extreme example you can think of of somebody surviving cold? So the only way in the cold that you would be able to... Freezing will not do it. If you freeze, you, the, tissue will, the tissues will die. So if it's extremely deep and you've been outside and your tissues are completely frozen, meaning that you're in ambient temperature that is well below freezing, you're not going to survive. You're going to die. You're going to lose parts at the minimum. But if you don't get out of that cold temperature and your body temperature keeps dropping, you will die. But there's that concept that you're never dead 
until you're warm and dead. So you still need to try to warm up the individual because there's a chance, and it's been shown before, but it was mainly shown in cold water where people almost went into, they were dead. And when they rewarmed them from cold water, which again has nothing to do with creating ice crystals, you don't get that tissue damage to the same level. The only thing you're getting is the cooling of the body. And this has been shown in, even in infants that if they fall in cold water, you do need to rewarm them. Because even after being rewarmed, and this is again in animals, it's, it's well known in, in the animal world that some animals are able to go to very low temperatures. They almost seem dead. They're basically dormant. And then you rewarm them and they come back to life. Well, it seems that if you're able to cool fast enough in cold water, that you would be able to pre rewarm and come back to life. Um, so there's that whole concept that you, yes, there's that chance that you would be able to survive cold, but there's definitely no guarantees. And if it's below freezing and you got damaged tissues, you are losing this tissue. So again, your chances of surviving become less and less. Are we like, does cryogenic freezing work? Are we going to be able to do that? So it works for certain cells and you need to kind of uh, remove the water from the inside of the cell. And when you remove the water, then, then you can freeze it. Could you do it for a whole body? That would be extremely difficult to do. It's still the same principle, but are, would you be able to survive and be as you were before freezing? You know, I, I kind of see it a little, a little bit like meat you put in the freezer, right? When you put meat in your freezer, and you leave it for uh, you know two months, it's not a big deal. But if you leave it for 10 years, the meat's not going to be very good, right? It, it kind of still affects it to, to, to a certain extent. So I don't know much about that literature. I haven't seen too much about it. But in my mind, this would be extremely difficult. And I know some people have tried it to be able to bring back a body to the same state as the body was before freezing. You don't think it's going to work? It's not going to work. I think it would be extremely complex. I, I, I think people will try it. I think people will, will try to see, are we able to do this? Because we are able to do it with, uh, uh, you know, reproductive cells, and it seems to be working really well. So it is possible to do it with these specific cells. Could you do it with all cells of the body in the same way, including your brain, which is very sensitive to these fluctuations and especially changes in energy need and energy metabolism? Uh, you can destroy brain cells very easily even heart cells are very vulnerable so would it be possible to do it with all tissues i think it would be extremely challenging so maybe we're going to be able to do it at some point but right now i would have trouble seeing how we're, we would be able to do it are there any examples of people kind of like quote unquote freezing to death in warm temperatures well no because it's physics right so because it's physics you you do need that gradient in temperature claim about cold therapy that drives you nuts the most I think right now, what really bothers me is more about the immune system because we kind of put the immune system is a very complex system. And we try to simplify it by saying, okay, it's going to improve the immune system. And a lot of people have looked at, you know, the changes in white blood cells, but there's far more going on than this. And even when you're sick, the blood cell count, the white blood cell count changes. So people are making claims based on no evidence. And uh, I think what bothers me the most is when, when people, especially with no training at all, no formal training in any field, uh, have taken a weekend course or, you know, a few, a few courses and they make these types of claims. 
again, based on no science or maybe based on a random paper from a predator journal that uh, people are just trying to convince of, of the, the, the efficacy of, of cold exposure. I think th this right now with the immune system is what bothers me the most. And also the fact that we don't talk about the risks, right? This is something that bothers me into anything that we do. We never mentioned that you know, we can do this to the extreme and there's never any risks. You know, it would be like saying I'm, I'm doing triathlons or ultra marathons and there are no risks. Of course, there are risks, right? But we don't really want it. We always say, oh, it's all about benefits. Well, cold, no, there are risks. Same with heat exposure, there are risks. What are you studying now? So right now, initially, when I started my research, I was mainly focused on energy metabolism. I was trying to figure out what does the body need and use in the cold to be able to survive and operate more efficiently. So this was most of my PhD work was related to this. And I studied shivering quite a bit because I wanted to know how people shiver. And one thing that came up is with cold, because there's been so little natural selection around cold exposure that it was more behavioral we get a lot of different ways of responding to cold. So we cannot generalize cold response in all humans on earth. And even within a population that is very similar, there are a lot of differences in how people respond to cold. So, but recently, so I studied brown fat. So in 2009, I was part of a team with University of Sherbrooke, University Université uh, Laval in Quebec City. And we built probably one of the top teams looking at brown fat changes in humans and how exposing yourself to cold regularly changed the brown fat and what was the exact role of, of, of that fat. And uh, we're continuing this work. So this is something we're going to keep looking at for sure, because we want to know what is the exact function of brown fat. Um, but doing all of this, I kind of realized, especially through COVID, I started reading more and starting doing some yoga, starting doing some meditation stuff, breath work. And I realized that cold also requ requires a certain level of mindset. When I get into the cold, my mindset has to be right. And I need to understand my limits and I need, I need to understand how far I can push. But there's also a whole aspect of using cold as a way of improving mindset and your mindfulness, your self-awareness. And a lot of the militaries around the world are actually looking in this and to be able to recreate the mind-body connection. And to be able to do, use cold in a healing way, where when I'm in the cold, there's nothing else I can think about. When I'm in the ice tub, what I need to focus on is to reconnect my responses. And so cold has been used quite a bit, even with pain management. So, so this is some of the work I'm kind of doing in parallel to my more fundamental cold, cold research. Because I do think there's a lot to learn and a lot to do when it comes to cold. And I think our bodies, if, if well done can get a lot of benefits from cold exposure. That is true, right? Right. When I'm cold, the only thing I think about is being cold. I don't think about anything else but the fact that I'm cold. I mean, it makes you tough. I feel like cold makes you tough. It makes you tough in a controlled way. It makes you tough in a situational awareness way. That's pretty much all the questions that we have. Is there anything that you think that we missed or anything like that? No, I think we covered quite a bit. You know, the one only other thing that I would ask, right, like when you look at populations that kind of live in the cold, you know, that are in, in more extreme examples, right? Like I know you, you work with indigenous and native populations and worked in Finland. Do they have a fundamentally different approach to it than other places, than other people like somebody in the south of the United States would have? Like, do they look at it differently? 
Yes, and uh, and I think this is something I learned from a Norwegian officer, uh, an amazing man that I met in Arlington at a NATO uh, conference. And he said something, and I don't know if everybody picked up on it in the audience, but for me, being French-Canadian, I've been grown up in very on bases. My dad was in the military. My mom was also in the military. So I kind of grew up in north of Quebec City. And the temperatures were cold, much colder than what you get now because of climate change. But one thing that he said that really hit home with me, and I know a lot of people in northern United States and even Alaska will, will understand exactly what I mean. He said, to be able to do well in the cold, you need to embrace the cold. And so for me, I think this is the most important component of any culture that does well in the cold is cold is not a big deal. Cold is just something that exists, that is there. And in Finland, this is what you see. People don't panic around cold and they actually enjoy it. They embrace it. I want to thank Francois so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And we've also included his information in the episode description. If you want to see more of this conversation, the YouTube version of this episode will be live on December 21st at 12.30 p.m. Pacific. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. Are you a holiday person? I'm going to say yes, but only really since I've had children. I don't really like the holidays. Any holidays. I don't really care about any holidays, to be honest with you. Other than the fact that I have it off, I'm not like, yeah, Thanksgiving's coming up. I enjoy the time with my family. I enjoy the time off. But if it was just another day, I'd be completely fine with it, I think. I think in some weird way, what you just said indicates that you do enjoy the holidays. I guess I don't care about celebrating the holiday specifically i mean like if I, we didn't have thanksgiving dinner on thanksgiving i wouldn't care if we went to subway i'd be like okay cool <laughs> i think it's like especially at christmas time i think it's many find it uncomfortable to give gifts and to get gifts and i think like i could do without the gifting part of the holiday i would be fine with that the only thing that I'm really looking forward to is seeing other people get the gifts that I'm going to give them. I could care less about getting the gifts. There's not actually even anything that I want. That's not true. There isn't one thing that you want. There's not one thing that I want to get from somebody else. There's lots of very specific things that I would like to pick out myself, but there's not something that I would want someone else to get me unless it's exactly the thing that I sent them in an email with a link to get me. Well, I'm still waiting on it, so. 
Uh, I sent you a Christmas card. Did you send me a Christmas card? No, we did not send out Christmas cards this year. Don't worry. It wasn't just you. No one else got them either. You have an obligation. Once you pass, once you have a family, if you have children, even if that is a dog, you have an obligation to send people Christmas cards. To be it's fair, in the Constitution. I don't even know how yours got to my house because you didn't close the back, did you? Oh, I have no idea. I didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> well, then your wife may have been playing a joke on us because it was completely open by the time we got it. Maybe somebody else was checking it, seeing there's money in there, man. That brings up a good question, actually, that I have for you and everyone else listening to this. Um, so we've been living in my house now for six years. We mm-hmm, still mm-hmm. we still get, including as of last week, mail for the prior owners. Does it say their name or does it just say current resident? No, it's, some, now mind you, I don't want to sound like I'm hoarding mail here. It's never been anything except either maybe like a Christmas card or junk mail. But in saying that, I am firmly under the belief that by now, if you have not told people or, 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 or I don't know, Facebook them something, your current address after a half decade of not living in that home, uh, then, it, then, then it's my mail at this point. It's your mail. Yeah, that's fair, fair game. Fair, if you okay. get a Christmas card and you live there for six years, you can open that Christmas card and look at it. Yeah. You can do whatever. As far as I'm concerned, even if they send a check, that money is yours. <laughs> well, listen, that's a federal – technically, if I were to op- – I don't open the mail, just FYI, because that's a federal offense. Uh, but I definitely mm-hmm. would never open a piece of mail like that and see money and, and keep it because that's – Oh, okay. All right, dude. Yeah, people can watch this, but I know what you're really doing. <laughs> yeah, people can track this down, right? Uh, right, right, right. I'm a, I'm a law-abiding citizen. Pay no attention to me, sir. Go- <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, have you been out with your boys? And this goes to anyone listening that has children. Um, have you been, let's say, waiting in line for Santa or something or, 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 or a reindeer – and one of your children puts them on the spot and goes, are you the real Santa? Are you a real elf? Because that happened to me last weekend. Oh, how'd you handle it? I backed away. And, and the, so we went to see some rain, you know, Santa's reindeers. And the elf, I guess, we'll, we'll call her an elf because uh, that's what she was portraying. She was, I mean, you could tell she had done this before, but it made me stop and think that, like, we need to give, you know, we should give these people that are doing this credit. I mean, how many times in a day do they get asked, are you the, are you a real elf? Like, you know, are you the real Santa? Yeah, dude, and you probably struggle to answer it like one or two times or they tell you when you start working and then you just repeat that answer. I don't <laughs> think that it's like brain surgery every single time. It's like, this is what they told me to say. I do. I, I, no, I, I, I'm his representative. Like, it's not like that hard. I do. Listen, I do. I think it's hard. I think it's a lot harder than we give it credit for, man. I really do. So... Much love to all you mall Santas. Way to back away and not take any responsibility for your own children, by the way. I mean, what are you supposed to do? let somebody else handle this. I mean, listen, man up. Answer the kid's question. That's where you're supposed to step in. You're the parent. You're putting the responsibility on some, like, 16-year-old kid. Uh, All right. Angela Moline. Appreciate you. Taylor R.C. Mason Hunting. Uh, Mackenzie. Andrew Ramirez. Stacey Johnson. Uh, Midnight Rider, appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> I only put this one on here because I think it's hilarious. But uh, little big boy, I wonder wh- <laughs> why you say you're little big boy if you're. It doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> Bob Krismanich, appreciate you. 
Don Johnson. I don't think that's the original Don Johnson, just FYI. And then Peter Masterson. Appreciate all of you. You all get the Silver Star Awards today. Or this episode. I don't think there's enough Stacys. I think we need to make a concentrated effort to have more Stacys. Stacy generally tends to be, in my opinion, like a good wholesome person, but a little bit wild. Need more Stacys. Um, so somebody brought up a good point to me, uh, once again, in an inebriated state, is that, and this is more of a discussion than a question, but kind of a question. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to ask you, if you're talking to someone about holiday movies, Christmas holiday movies, and they were to say, I've never seen this. Which movie would you say that's insane? Everyone's seen that movie. The only one that I can think of are, I, I can name a couple, which ironically, I have never seen. I've never seen It's a Wonderful Life. I've never watched that. I've never watched any of the Grinch movies. And I've never watched the one with the You'll Shoot Your Eye Out. But I would think those three. Home Alone, and you can make an argument for Die Hard. So the last two, Home Alone and Die Hard, were kind of what were, like if you haven't seen either of those, um, I think eyebrows get raised. I would say Home Alone probably tops that list. Maybe it's a wonderful life for people of an older generation. I mean, I'm going to, out of those three movies, It's a Wonderful Life would be my pick, just because... The message in the movie is fantastic. It's black and white. Well, there's a colored version, but you have to watch the black and white version. If you've never seen it, do yourself a favor and watch it. And then I'd say Die Hard and then Home Alone. I'm not the biggest Home Alone fan. Like, I'm more of a fan of uh, um, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern than I am of, like, anyone else in that movie. Yeah, I don't particularly care for it. The premise is a little... If you actually think of the premise, it's kind of a fucked up movie. That's one of those movies that I think that, like, if reality, if they did, like, the real version of that, that movie ends in about five seconds. <laughs> and it ends up with that kid dying and his parents going to jail because of neglecting him. <laughs> right? They break in. They murder him. Parents come back, find him. They, they The parents go to jail. They eventually catch the murderers. It's over, right? It's a 10-minute Right. That's story. the whole movie. Everybody. In the, the real <laughs> Home Alone movie, it's a terrible ending of the parents going to jail, him dying, and the other guys. Everybody going to jail, basically. All right. Uh, let's move on here. Because I just realized these are more topics and questions, which is fine. Um, New Year's Eve uh, network coverage. Can you name me, you know, and that's what, that's like the Dick, uh, Dick Clark's New Year's Rock and New Year's Eve, NBC does something, blah, blah, blah. Question is, can you name me any of the headliners for any of them? I have sure. never seen a single one ever or even thought about it for a second in my life or paid any attention to it. I could absolutely care less and have never had any interest in it whatsoever. But I find it hard to believe in all of your... New Year's Eve celebrations, which I've been a part of a couple with you, uh, that you've never seen one of those shows ever. Never. Oh, I don't. I, it boggles my mind that they even do it. Anytime I've ever seen like a promo for it or something like that, I've been like, would they do that? Why? Uh, third thing, this is completely different than anything I've asked you, the first two here. Okay. Um, you're walking into, uh, uh, you know, Home Depot, and you take a look to your right and there's the hot dog cart are you getting a home depot hot dog 
No, but I'll go Costco like you wouldn't believe. I'll make a special trip to Costco. Costco has great food. You get a giant sundae for a dollar fifty. I've actually deal. never had their ice cream. Their pizzas it's are good. pretty big. Their chicken bakes yeah. are fantastic. I'm not sure what a chicken bake is, but I've had their hot dog, which is a big size hot dog for a buck ninety nine. I can feed myself and my two sons for ten bucks. Oh, I actually got called out this week uh, by somebody because I don't like to eat in front of people, and I got called out, and it was a little, it was a little disconcerting. But uh, you know, I went with it. But uh, yeah, I don't like to eat in front of people. I don't, I don't get how that's weird or obscure. I don't like to eat in front of people either. I would like to eat like by myself, alone, with no one, yeah, talking to me or bothering me. Even my family, and this is gonna sound weird. I could eat alone. Like, I, I could make them dinner, sit at the dinner table while they eat, they go to bed, and then I could eat after by myself, and I would prefer that, I think. That's actually what I do. <laughs> we sit down for dinner at 6 o'clock, my wife, my two kids, and I eat later. I eat at 9 o'clock. I don't eat. I just okay. sit there. No, I'll have a little bit of something and have, like, a drink, but I don't eat. I'll eat later by myself. Yeah, I'm... Yeah, I want to be left I've, alone. Yeah, I just leave me alone in my rocking chair with friends on. Like, I don't want nothing else. Don't don't talk to me. Right. <laughs> just let me yell at clouds. I just want to yell at clouds. <laughs> uh, I that's, agree. That's... I 100 percent agree. Uh, so our top five is top five things we don't like about Christmas. <laughs> What's your number five? Uh, I don't know how this is around the other parts of the world. Uh, but here in the Detroit area, we have a radio station that plays Christmas music from basically Thanksgiving until the New Year. And uh, I got to tell you, Christmas music just isn't my jam. I'm going to put that as my number five. Hmm. Okay. I have that higher on the list. Okay. I have that higher on the list, but I agree with you. I okay. agree with you. My number five is untangling Christmas lights. No matter what oh. you do, and I've got a system. They still end up a mess every time. Untangling, reorganizing, like how the hell did I do that last year? Dri I, I'm going to stay mum on that because I have uh, – that's higher up on my list. Okay, okay. Yeah. It's number four. Uh, the obligation of going and seeing family. Like it's like, hey, let's, you know, let's get the family together that you haven't seen – since last Christmas and pretend to give a crap about them and, you know, oh, what have you been up to, Uncle Bobby? Well, blah, blah, blah. And then he talks to you for 20 minutes when you could care less. I have that also as my number four is seeing family. And I think that if you don't talk to a family member more than once a year, you don't have any obligation to talk to them. Yeah, and it's – okay. I'm trying to remain calm here because I can get a little heated on this. Oh, it's oh, getting fired up. Getting fired up. And I think I think people can relate to this. Uh, it's just, you know, you don't hear from people ever. And then as soon as December 1st, it's like, well, Aunt Mary's hosting a Christmas party. Okay. Then three days later, hey, you're coming to Aunt Mary's Christmas party? Like, no, I don't even know where Aunt Mary lives anymore because I don't talk to her. I mean, I have family members. <laughs> blood relations that I probably haven't spoken to in 15 years. And that's fine. That's fine, right? Like, mm -hmm. that's okay. Sure. Yeah. It's they fine. don't want to talk to me either. So everything's okay. Uh, all right. My number, 
My number three, and this is an old man syndrome uh, choice, but it's basically just not being able to go anywhere, uh, to any store, to any supermarket, anywhere, for, uh, two weeks leading up to Christmas and then like three days after without just it being completely crazily packed. People are pissed off. There's no patience. So you take somebody like me with parking lot anxiety already and thrust them into this situation, and it's it's, just, it's terrible. I, I'm just – my nerves are shot for a month. Hmm. I mean, I just do it online, dude. It's pretty easy now. <laughs> like, I don't even have to leave the house. I don't have to associate with anybody. I'm, maybe you've heard of the World Wide Web. My number three is breaking down boxes. I truly despise breaking down any kind of box. I hate see, it. You got to open the box, cut the box, put the box away. I, I dread it. I hate breaking down boxes. From I, I like it. I like. I, I actually enjoy the challenge of breaking down boxes because you're not. Not only are you getting them out of your house, but it's like, how can I fit these into my recycling bin, like creatively to get the mo- the, the most of them in there? Oh, it's kind of like Tetris for you. Yeah, sure. You could. It's a recycling bin Tetris with you know. Uh, cardboard boxes. Now, what do you do? What do you use? Do you use a box cutter, scissors, or do you use a knife? What's your strategy? Don't use any. I usually peel peel Ooh. the tape. Usually peel the tape with my hands, or you know, I don't want to talk about my big forearms, but usually I can just you know rip one flap open and then the other flap comes up and, or comes open. It's yeah. I don't. I mean, maybe a box cutter if like if I need it, but no, nah, I just usually use these meat meat claws, meat here. hooks. The old meat hooks. Oh, okay. I use a box cutter. The only oh. one I really have trouble with is those boxes from Costco that are like impossible that like the Hulk couldn't rip apart. <laughs> you know which uh, ones I mean? Like the, the fruit boxes yeah. and you're like, what the hell do I yeah. do with this? Well, because those are the ones where like the edges rip, but then like the, you know, the integrity you know, of the, the main part of the cardboard isn't ripping. It's just, it's a pain in the ass. And they're made of like the adamantium version of cardboard where like, what is this made of? It's like steel yeah, cardboard. You can't do anything uh, with it. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. Okay. Uh, so my number two is basically just everybody. Uh, I went from one extreme. I'm going to the next here uh, with my number two. And that's just everybody being fake happy like you know like pretending to care pretending to be nice pretending to give cheer like i know you really don't care about me so don't give me some seven dollar bottle of wine and act like you really value me as a person my number two is kind of along those lines but it's i hate pretending like i like a gift okay yeah, i I hate pretending like i enjoyed your gift it's so awful but do you, will you pretend to at least enjoy the gift, you know, before you throw it away or before that person leaves the room or something? Yes. And I hate that. I hate that. I think you should just be like, oh, this is nice. I really appreciate it. Can I have the receipt so I can return it and get something I really like? Yeah. I'm, I just don't think I fake emotions very well. So it's mm. like, oh, great. Thank you. I, I love it. My number one. Uh, is anything outside Christmas decoration related. That can be from untangling lights to putting up inflatables to putting up Christmas lights to taking down all this shit. Like, it's all, it's just, it's all one big pain in the ass. And it's a bunch of reasons. I'll give three and then I'll move on so you can talk. 
One is it's always super cold outside when you do it. Two is it's never worth the risk is never worth the reward ever, ever with this bullshit. And three, you have to take it down at least where I live. I'm speaking, you know, from living in Metro Detroit. You take it down in January, maybe February, and it's six degrees. The ground is frozen. Shit's frozen. It's just it's terrible. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. My number one is Christmas songs. I don't care about any Christmas songs or Christmas movies. I don't care about them. I don't want to hear them. I don't want to see them. I don't want to hear other people talk about them. I don't care about any Christmas songs or Christmas movies. Don't care at all. Don't enjoy them. Don't like them. Don't care. Yeah, I mean, I, I echo every all of that. There, like, There are some that I do enjoy, but like once, not every hour on the hour. And not one of the main biffs that I have with Christmas songs is the same song has been done by 50 people. Mm. And like the one person that I like singing it, they never play. Anytime somebody says to me, like, let's hear Christmas music, I always think, no, I don't want to hear Christmas music on Christmas Day. I don't care. Don't care. Yeah, I mean. I, I, I want to see how I react, you know, coming up with the Christmas story marathon, because that used to be something I looked forward to every Christmas. And now I'm like, the movie actually isn't even that good. That's the thing. So. None of them are that good. None of the movies are really that good. Maybe a couple, but none of the songs are that good. No. Don't care. No. Don't care. <laughs> Don't care. Uh, do you have anything in your honorable mention? Uh, yeah, there are, there, yes. Um, mall Santas. I've never been a fan of waiting an hour or two hours in line for a Santa. I'm sorry. I know that's disheartening and I know they're hard workers, but like we can just say, Hey, dress me up as Santa and I'll be Santa. I don't really care about any Christmas food. I don't particularly find any Christmas food to be that good. It's all like, okay, it's all right. I have, I, have, I have animal costumes. I have people who dress up their animals for the holidays. I agree. I don't think that animals should be dressed up. I don't think that they should be dressed up, right? I don't want to see your fucking greyhound dressed as a reindeer. I don't. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, leave us a quick review doesn't have to be some big thing. Just a couple of quick words really helps us out. If you're listening to this before the Christmas and holiday season, I hope that you have a wonderful Christmas and holidays. Thank you so much for your support for this year. I still don't like Christmas songs. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.